just around me now. I'm exhausted. That turn you're trying to make, maybe start it a little sooner. Don't wait to get to the very, very top of the face to be able to start that rap. I don't want to get stuck in an alley with Robert Shadow now. After I saw that, I was like, man, that guy's a... <laughs> Welcome to the Basis Surf Podcast. I'm with Keola Simpson, my good friend. Uh, native Hawaiian, lives in Brooklyn, New York now. Claim to fame is he once surfed a heat with Rob Machado. So uh, way back in the day, uh, Kiola is a good buddy. He uh, rips pretty hard for an old guy. Uh, maybe not even old, but just in that middle age bracket as many of us are coming and getting to. And uh, I just thought it would be a, a really cool opportunity to learn about uh, Kiola's surf adventure, you know, starting from, you know, his childhood in uh, Hawaii all the way how he ended up here in, in Brooklyn, New York. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can hear some good stories along the way, learn uh, some surf tips and just general wisdom and advice uh, from a seasoned vet. And um, yeah, so thanks for uh, joining, Kiola. Thank you for having me. And also at the very least, maybe we can help somebody fall asleep. <laughs> Yeah, we'll uh, we'll either keep them awake, make them fall asleep. There'll be a uh, there'll be some kind of outcome. All right. Well, um, let's just let's just start off at the very beginning, right? So you grew up. Let's with start so off with the obvious, Van. You have a very good voice for this. Do hearing I, it's, it's very it's, soothing. It's not as uh, it's not as sexy as yours, man. I, I'm not a pro like uh, like you are. So uh, uh, I appreciate it though. So um, yeah. So let's just start off. Um, so where did you grow up, and uh, how did you start surfing? Oh boy, I'm from um, I'm from the island of Oahu um, in the you know the island chain of of Hawaii and from the northeast side, so uh, Haula, which would be for anybody who's ever visited Hawaii or maybe just for people who just surf, they just know of the North Shore or town or South Shore. Uh, it'd be North Shore, be the countryside, um, you know, one road, Cam Highway. Um, and then I also spent a lot of time in Southern California. My dad, who is from Kauai, um, also lived in Newport Beach. So I spent all my summers in <laughs> growing up in Newport Beach. So I, I grew up surfing, um, you know, little beach break waves in Newport, Huntington, um, even San Diego. And then uh, also um, the, you know, the countryside of Oahu. So two drastically different, you know, places to go surfing at because uh, they're just not the same at all. But um, I think I'm trying, I don't really, I guess I remember the first time my uncle Jay, who he was like the cool uncle. I mean, he still is, um, you know, he surfed a lot. So he'd be like, you want to go surf? I'd be like, yeah, I've been trying to get you to take me to go surf. And, but really what that meant was he goes surf and I just hang out on the beach. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll see him in a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I, I mean, I still remember like, you know, the first time you get up, whitewash yeah of course <laughs> and thinking oh man I, I i did a turn i probably didn't do a turn um oh At i least went it left. Looked good in your head right oh yeah <laughs> but i still remember the the first time i ever rode like the um you know a wave wave not whitewash and it was probably maximum two seconds long but in my mind it went on for like a minute Right. And then that that just that one feeling of I'm standing on the 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 open face part of the wave and not the whitewash and this is probably going to be something I'm going to be chasing for the rest of my life. That's the uh that's the feeling that we're all chasing all the time and yeah, definitely for the rest of our lives. I mean, I uh oh, that is a pretty magical feeling. So, um do you remember where you were when this happened? Where was that first clean wave? Um, I th I think I might have been in the the river jetty of Seal Beach in Southern California. Uh, yeah. It took me a while to actually ride an open face wave. <laughs> um, I mean, there there are, in Hawaii we have a lot of um, you know it's reef break, so like a wave will break and then whitewash will go for a while, and eventually it'll feel like there's a you're on a wave because the whitewash is backing off um, as the water gets deeper. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of those, and you know especially in like Haleiwa, you grow up surfing the whitewash on the inside and then it reforms into a wave. Um, uh, that was kind of like, like cheating waves, you know, you take off in the whitewash and then eventually you get to an open face. Um, the, yeah. The, but the first like real, real one, um, where I actually felt like I was pumping was, mm -hmm. uh, this place that I grew up surfing called Goat Island on, um, on in the Laie side. So just one town North of Haula, there's this little Island, 
that um, has a wave that breaks all, um, off along the side of it. It's a bit of a long paddle, um, but that's just where we surfed a lot. And it's a it's a roll in left that bowls up and then eventually you know kicks you back out into the channel and you gotta you know just whip around. There's no real consequence. Yeah, it's shallow, but you don't really have to duck dive anything because you just paddle around at all. There's it's a lot of sharks, mm. but the the first time where I was like, oh, this is I'm, I'm actually making, I'm generating speed or I'm harnessing speed was um, at Goat Island and all those years growing up of just going left and trying to get barreled, but being 20 feet too far out in front of it. <laughs> so, so what was it, what was, what was your childhood like surfing? Like, did you surf every day after school? Did you get to surf on weekends? Like, what was that? What was that like? And, uh, and how did that? The- yeah. In, in Hawaii, it's just, that's what you do. You like, when you get out of school, um, you take off, you go across the street to the beach or you figure out where everybody's going that day based off of what's happening. Sometimes it's too big. Sometimes it's too small and you just figure out where you're going. And, um, it, you, you're just in the water all the time until the sun goes down. And then when I would be in California, um, my dad lived a very fortunate lifestyle. So he didn't have like a nine to five. Um, and he was a water person. So, um, he, he paddled outrigger canoes, which we all do in, in Hawaii for sport and recreation. So I was always around um, water people um, the entire time. So my, my dad and my uncles, um, you know, granted they're surfers, but they're also fishermen. You know, they sail, they, they paddle canoe. Um, it's not limited. Me, I was just wanting to surf. <laughs> That's all I wanted right, to do. Right. And there are other things to have to do. But I remember going like... There was this bar in Newport called Blackies. And if anybody's watching this and knows what that is, I was probably conceived in that parking lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's what the, the all the uncles would do after paddling practice. They would all go to the bar and me and um, uh, the, the other boys that were, you know, all the same age and the, the, the sons of these, of these uncles, we would all just go surf Blackies while they're in the bar all day uh, and night. Mm-hmm. And we'd be, that, that was just normal. You would, or you go get dropped off at the beach, um, I guess it was a different time. I don't know if that's kids still get to do that. I, I hope they do <laughs> where you just get left there for like six hours <laughs> while they go to the bar. And, that's a, that's a daydream for most parents. No, <laughs> I doubt most parents would yeah. be able to do that in our days, but I was lucky and got to travel a bunch um, up and down, um, you know, Mexico and um, uh, the, I guess the bottom, I would say Southern California, but all the way up to Santa Barbara and getting to surf these places all on weekends and, um, you know, wherever a paddling race uh, event was, you know, I'd be there for the weekend and just surfing my brains out. You just kind of go walking around with your friends, try to find a wave. And then you think you discovered a wave and it turns out that's a very known wave. Yeah. So did you, how did you learn how to improve? Like, did you just, you know, it, it's interesting when I talk to surfers that have been surfing since their children, you know, generally it's a very intuitive process. Sometimes they can't even describe what they're doing. Was that what it was like for you or were you studying people carefully? Like what was that process like for you? It's two things. Um, the first is back then we, we had, there were limits to the kind of video you can watch. It's like every now and then a VHS would get passed around. Um, and then you would watch it, not exaggerating a hundred times. Um, and, and those videos back then were the heavy influence on everybody was Tom Curran and, um, and Mark Acalupo too. And I, while everybody else naturally gravitated toward the smooth style of trying to mimic Tom Curran, I was kind of more interested in what Aki was doing. Mm-hmm. It just seemed more raw and um, violent. Um, He's goofy too. Now you, you love that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was that. But those are there's limits to the amount of videos you know you get to see. And then it was the surf mags. Surf mags, it was that that was the thing. You had surfer and you had surfing. If you're lucky, you got it delivered to your house because you had a cool parent. Um, and you would just sit on the toilet for an hour going through these magazines. And you, you know, a single image uh, ends up being this thing that you can figure out this, the, the the backstory to it and what happens after that turn. Mm. So that that would be the first thing is, is those influences, the visual influence. The second one is competition. It's with your friends and you're all starting around the same time. So you're all progressing at the, at the same rate, but you want to be better than that person. Yeah. Um, I had, you know, the guy, kids I grew up with, um, it felt like they were always a hair better than me. So it was fortunate for me that, that I'm trying to be better than something that's a little bit better than me. 
Uh, it probably would suck if I was the better one. And then I'd probably not have that thing to chase after. But competition was the definite thing for me um, on how to get better at surfing. And then you one day you see yourself on a, a video or a, um, or, or a camera, a still photo, and you're like, ew, I surf like that. <laughs> that's uh that's reaction most surfers have when they they look at footage of themselves no that's interesting so you always perceived your peers to be slightly better and that gave you the drive to basically want to surf better and and learn from them too it gave you an opportunity to to basically learn and see what they're doing and then try to adapt to that and improve that oh yeah the, the first time i saw a um you know a good friend get the fins out of the water it wasn't like Oh, hell yeah. Even though a little bit of it was, it immediately became, well, now I got to get my fins out of the water. Right. And it's just that, that wanting to keep going up, 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 up and up. And, you know, then eventually, uh, you, you maybe you, tr you, you find that you can surf outside of that limit that you had previously mm -hmm. had just by seeing somebody, you know, do something that you haven't seen them do before. Yeah. And so, you know, even at that younger age, like, were there plateaus that you were hitting and how did you break through those plateaus? I mean, I'm sure when you're competing, you know, if you're competing, you're, you're fully invested, you're going all out. Um, do you remember, but at the same time, you're at such a young age that I'd imagine that you're going to progress so much faster than, you know, say someone that's learning as an adult would, but do you ever remember getting stuck anywhere? I, there was a point when, you know, that there, there's a young age where you think, yeah, I'm going to be a pro surfer. <laughs> And I remember one summer I had just spent back in, um, back in Newport and that scene was, you know, already very competitive. There's just really, really good surfers that, in that area. And there, because it was the becoming or the beginning of the home base for, um, the, the industry that was becoming pro surfing, a lot of these people were coming in and out. So you start to you you see better surfing and your surfing gets better. I remember going back to Hawaii that fall and thinking, oh man, I'm going to be better than my friends. Only to find out I was not. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a significant leap that was made. I remember I was a junior in high school at Kahuku High School up on the North Shore. And I mean, granted, these are like, you know, the future big names of surfing. I, I remember coming back thinking, no, I'm going to be as good as Jack or Tamayo uh, when I get home. Or, um, you know, I'm still older than Kalani, so I'm going to be better than Kalani when I get back. I remember that year being like, oh, they made a leap that I didn't make in this mm -hmm. summer. They mm -hmm. like traveled around and surfed way bigger waves. And uh, it was completely different. I was not on the same level as those guys. I, I went to a high school that had um, like maniacs. Sean Briley is just a, a that's a, a, the, for the younger generation, that'd be Kalani Chapman's older brother. Back then, he was a freaking pipe legend scary scary mm. like he would take off on things that you shouldn't be taking off on uh you can still find him he's the, like the bigger uh, he looks like a big fat white guy okay. um, surfing gigantic pipe that's sean bright oh that dude that guy <laughs> yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah i know who he is yeah yeah um jack johnson was a classmate to Miles perry um uh, kalani rob uh, conan hayes benji weatherly these guys were all going to be big things in surfing and I remember that junior year coming back and realizing that they are on a whole different level <laughs> all in from one summer away. Wow. And that first, like, you're already inching at that time to um, hanging out on the shoulder at Pipe and pretending like you're out there with everybody um, to those guys are now taking off on like pretty heavy waves. And I remember that that year um, we had a, a, you get an early October swell typically, and there's a lot of sand. So it's not as, it's not pipe pipe. Mm -hmm. but uh it's pipe adjacent yeah <laughs> uh, if somebody doesn't know very well that you can you can just tell them it's pipe right right, right. and uh i remember a day being out it's like you know sun's going down and i was like well i gotta get one because they're all getting one and i remember going over the falls taking a violent beating getting swept all the way down to aokai came back in and like that moment right there i was like there's no way to get around it i was like these guys are on a whole different level and yeah. I'm trying to get safely back in. Oh my God, that's the worst feeling. I mean, I remember surfing with you guys out at Aokai and the sweep was the sweep was so bad. I was almost I realized at a certain point, holy shit, I'm drifting towards pipe and I wanted none of that. So <laughs> I started falling <laughs> back the other way. Oh man. Well, so what do you think happened during that one summer that allowed them to like make this leap? Because it sounds like you were at a similar, you were in the similar realm in terms of performance. And then it just like, you were gone for this one summer. I mean, was it just that they 
had gotten these sponsorships, so they were going on these trips and had ex- you know exposure, or or what was it? Or maybe they just. I think that's one hundred percent it. They had um, you know there was financial backing, and back then it wasn't a lot. You know, we'd get clothes thrown our way or something like that. But I think that they were getting to go and crash on other people's houses in different parts of the world, um, and and go surf different waves. Um, whereas I was launching, I was getting better at surfing small waves really mm-hmm. well at that time. And they were getting better at surfing uh, waves that had consequence, but like it was like they were small waves. Mm, interesting. And I was still surfing, you know, smaller, you know, I, I, at that time it was like, you do your summer contest series and you're really just uh, Huntington hopping all over the place. And I think because of those dumb contests where I was like, oh, I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But like the reality is when I got back to Hawaii, it was like, I remember we were surfing this event down at Sandy's. Um, back then it was like the HSF, Hawaii Surfing Federation, I think it was. And Sandy's, believe it or not, has a wave. And I remember getting beaten by the boys. And when I say boys, like I, we were juniors um, age-wise and boys would then surf in a boys division as well as juniors. I was getting beat by like young boys. I mean, they would go on to become Andy Irons, Bruce Irons, those people. Oh, well, um, but yeah. like they didn't have like the same body as me yet. They were still like little little twigs of right. humans. <laughs> right, right. And I was technically a teenager still. You know, I was a full junior at that point. I was like, man, I really got to stop doing this. I think I better start playing more soccer. That's uh, That's when you just realized you couldn't compete. Well, but you're also competing yeah. against Andy and Bruce Irons. So, I mean. Yeah, that, that was a different, I mean, you don't know who's going to end up becoming who, but like back then it was like Kalani Rob and Brian Pacheco were the two guys that you were like, oh man, those guys are going to be Kelly Slater. Mm-hmm. Well, so interesting. So I guess that's interesting though. So you, I mean, you grew up around these guys and when you're looking at them, what do you think it was about them that made them so successful? Was it their drive? Were they just naturally talented? Were they just put more time in the water? What was it? No, the, their talents, you know, you can't buy it. Um, and I think that the, the industry can spot it early on and, and you know, they'll invest in it. Um, so, you know, talent is 100% the key factor. There are other things in it, like when that's all you have, and that's all you dream of, and that's all you're you're going to be. You have to be that, uh, and you have that mindset and the ability to kind of tunnel vision and want that and push all the other stuff aside. You're already several steps ahead of the next person. I was still at that time just a, I was a soccer player and was trying to um, you know do that. And surfing was the I realized too was this is this thing that I do. This is like my my lifestyle. It's not necessarily going to be this thing that I'm going to be for the rest of my life as a, like, I'm not gonna be employed by it. Um, that kind of thing. Whereas those guys, they had to do that. That's what they needed to do. Got it. Yeah. And I mean, I know that Kalani, I mean, from my understanding is he grew up, he had pretty rough tumble kind of origins. And I mean, that was his way of getting food on the table at, at some point. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, that's all you have. We, there aren't, there's no, like, I, I'm the same year as Jack. And um, I remember when we were both saying, mean, he was already a really good surfer. He, he, if he wanted to do that, he was going to be able to do it. He was probably the best one out of all of us in that one important year. Uh, when I say us, I was the worst one. Um, but <laughs> I remember Jack being like, no, I'm thinking about going to college. Uh, it's like, what? I'm going to go to college. But people from our school, Kuku High School, we don't go to college. There's mm-hmm. you, If you're lucky, you graduate. And most people don't. Um, if you're going to college from, from Kuku high school, it's because you played football at Kuku. That's, you know, the, there's no, um, retirement plan. Right. <laughs> you were going to go work at Costco or, um, you know, somewhere doing labor, you're going to work construction. That's the, the, that's your, the next step after going to school there. Um, and I remember Jack being like, yeah, I want to go to college. I was like, that's so crazy. Who does that? <laughs> Who, you're like really good at surfing. Why would you go to college? <laughs> Yeah. Wow. But yeah, that was a, that was a different time. I, I would think that nowadays kids have, you know, other options. They don't have to just pursue surfing. I would hope, I hope we're not still doing that. Right. Well, that, what's interesting is of course, you know, back then America and Hawaii were so dominant on the tour and obviously we're, 
I mean, <clears throat> we still got John John and, and we still got a, a couple of key players, but obviously the Brazilians have come up so hard and, you know, they, they have that similar origin story. It's just, uh, it's more kind of where all the local, I mean, you know, you think about Philippe, you think about Gabby, you think about all those guys, they came from that kind of uh, situation and they're at the age now when they're peaking. Um, but it's not this quite the same thing with the uh, the American pros um, of this generation that's currently competing, right? So I wonder if there's this. Well, you just get this grit and fire when uh, when it's all on the line, and that's that's your only way out, right? So I think there was a. I watched a documentary on a flight about it. Um, they had you know all time greats. I think it was like Pele, Wayne Gretzky, uh, Jerry Rice. And they were trying to find um, nerds, like science people, were trying to find out what's the thing that makes people become the greatest ever at their thing. And in the end, it came down to what I generally agreed on, on the, from that doc was poverty. That's Interesting. Just pure poverty. Yeah. Wow. Poverty. Well, I um, mean, because they'll focus factors, you like, and they'll, they'll, just, they'll just give you the drive for sure, right? Wow. But yeah, then you also, I mean, I've, I've read the book Talent Code. So it, there, there are a number of factors. Obviously, if it was purely just poverty, then you'd have certain places that are poor, but you know you don't end up with elite performers. But it's probably a mixture of poverty, which is going to be like one of the things that gives you drive, but then also access to that sport, uh, yeah. and then that probably being a part of the culture because you think surfing is such a part of the culture in Hawaii, it's such a part of the culture in Brazil, um, where that there's some kind of potent mix and I forget all the variables that happen in the town code, but that leads to kind of this obsession and this opportunity to get out. And then there you got, there you I go. wonder you if that, that book drive. influenced that, that doc too, cause they talked about that. I mean, there's, there's also the, the aspect of competing and being outside every day with your friends and um, you know, it doesn't matter the sport just cause you're a hockey player, like in Wayne Gretzky's case, he was like, I was hockey during the colder months. I played baseball in the winter. It just, whatever the season dictated, you just went outside and played with your friends and tried to beat them yeah. at it. Right. Because you, you have to win. Yeah, totally. Huh? So interesting. And you grew up, you, it, what's interesting is that you grew up in that kind of microcosm in Hawaii when like all those greats were basically getting anointed or about to become anointed. That's such an interesting time to be in Hawaii. Any like interesting yeah. stories from that time period? I mean, I can't even imagine like being in Hawaii when like those guys were coming up. Like, I mean, you, you were there. It sounds like you span that time period between momentum generation and then up through also when Kelly and Andy and when that all was going down or were you had you already left Hawaii? Yeah, I was already in college by the time Andy was doing his thing um, at the pro level. Um, but Back in those like teen years of high school, that was right when yeah, it was momentum generation um, plus a few years. So like what people know is the Volcom house now, back then that was Benji's house. So it was like where um, you would find, you know, Kelly or Rob or all those people from that generation hanging out. That was before it eventually became the Volcom house. And then um, so those people were always around, but you don't, I wasn't looking at them that way. You're, I was still looking at like Derek Ho and Sonny Garcia. Oh, and right. they, they, those were the guys, um, all the younger guys um, that were coming up. You don't, you know, you already knew about Kelly. That was, you know, already a given. But all the other guys, you didn't know that they were going to be these massive things. They were just other kids that you either surfed with or around or competed against <laughs> well I'll say right. competed with because <laughs> it's not much of a competition <laughs> that at that point when they're that good Hello? but you would see them in magazines and you know that that kind of thing uh -oh. um but you, they weren't the guy you know they weren't tom curran uh you know by any means it, it was um they were just the the next group that was trying to come up i mean uh -oh. all the people that i thought were going to be the greatest Looks surfers like ever probably Yola. didn't end up becoming um you know what what I thought they were going to be. There was some, especially in those younger days, you never know. I mean, for all we know, I thought Chloe and, and Dino was going to have like 10 world titles by now. And, you know, based off of his teen experiences. So how far did you get with your competing? I mean, I want to hear about this heat that you had with Rob. I, and I want to hear that you took him down. That's, that's what I want to hear. <laughs> I was, uh, I was in Newport and there was this event called the, um, it was an annual event. It was called the Maui and Sons. It was on 54th Street down in Newport. And I was playing soccer that year for Newport Harbor High School. I think I was a freshman. And 
you know, everybody there is like, you're going to do the event, you can do the event. And I don't think I had been in a contest ever at that point. And um, so I was like, you know, I'll do it. And, but like, didn't know how I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen like that stuff. I didn't really know how to do it. And I went down, I remember that first day and I was looking around and I was like, oh man, all these people I know of from like magazines and stuff. It was like, back then, Jeff Deffenbaugh would be the equivalent of what Kolohe was when he was um, an NSSA guy. Um, Shea Lopez, those guys were like the um, surf mags back then. When you go to the back, you would see all the contest results from all over the country. And it was mm -hmm. the same like guys, same people over and over and over and over. And I remember um, and in Newport at that particular time, uh, Troy Eckert was probably like the guy for the young kids coming, um, coming up. Um, he would later not be the you know, pro surfer megastar that you know, we all thought he would be, but he would start a help start a company called Volcom. And mm -hmm. he was just a really good surfer. And um, I remember paddling, it was like later on in the rounds in the event and uh, they're all six man heats, top three events, beach starts, um, which I didn't know how to do any of that. And I had a heat with like all these guys and I didn't know what else to do other than like try to beat people, <laughs> even though I clearly don't have the, the skill ability that they do. But um, I don't, I mean, I didn't necessarily know that. So yeah, I got through a heat with um, Rob and um, back then, yeah, Deffenbaugh, um, Colin Wagshaw was a legend from like Solana Beach, um, RIP. And uh, yeah, no, I got through a heat with Rob. To be fair, though, <laughs> he got through. All right. All right. He also got through. <laughs> OK, OK. It's not like you eliminated him, but OK. okay. I did not. At least the top three make it. I, you know, I yeah. ran into him at a, um, a party down um, in Red Hook and one of the magazine things were having a party down there and um, you're an eyes. Oh, uh, Keola beat you in a heat. This guy is so competitive. This is like 20. 15, 16, 17, one of those years, not that long ago, um, that, that this party happened. And keep in mind, this heat happened in like 1990, maybe 1991. And McConaughey says to Rob, he's like, oh yeah, Kayla beat you in a heat. And Rob looks at me dead serious and goes, <laughs> what event? <laughs> I was like, oh, it was nothing. It was, I mean, it was, um, then I told him, I was like the Maui and Sons. He's like, yeah, down in Newport. I was like, yeah. He's like, I finished second that year. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god he's like what, what what heat did you get me in i was like well you got through it too yeah and he's like oh okay otherwise like, he was about to rip your head off otherwise he was oh just my like, I, I had always heard he was competitive like that um but you know i i didn't know i'm like he knew exactly what it was he knew who he, he knew who won the event and what place he got um, is... he was like no barry deffenbaugh won that one and uh and i got second and i was like <laughs> that is so funny because he gives off this super chill you know vibe and i'm sure he is like that in some ways but you get him in competition he's probably the most ferocious you know competitor there is yeah i don't want to get stuck in an alley with robert shot now after i saw that i was like man that guy's a, <laughs> like it was like a switch went off i was like jeez although there <laughs> is that there there's that heat you know there's that famous heat with kelly yeah where supposedly he gives kelly that high five and he gives up that wave and then kelly wins that doesn't sound like the same competitor that we're talking about there, you know? So I, I'm curious, what, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, I'm sure there's enough documentaries out on that whole thing. And, but what, what people don't understand is like when pipe is the last event of the year and world titles are being decided in that last thing, it causes a lot of emotional stress on an athlete, <laughs> even a surfer, even a culture that is counterculture. Um, people who take this stuff very seriously, um, that's a lot of stress to put um, on, on somebody. So, you know, for I, I don't know firsthand what was happening there, but I know that they were all very good friends growing up and it divided their houses. Um, and for two yeah. people to be uh, that close to each other now having separate homes and not talking to each other and their friends are feeling, you know, a little weird around each other because they don't know if I high five this guy, is this guy going to get mad? And so to have a, 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 a break from the emotional stress that happens in sport and being able to uh, have a high five doesn't seem all that um, yeah. counter to what you would want uh, 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 psych psychologically, I would think. That's, that's too much. I mean, we saw that later on when... 
you know, the first time Kelly got really beaten by Andy, it was um, at pipe in the last event of the season. And you can watch any footage you want to watch. Kelly was already beaten before that heat even started. He was, it, that's too much emotional stress for any human to be, uh, be put on. And Andy was younger and, um, you know, had just had enough of, uh, of his armor still left on uh, to get through it. But I, eventually that stuff wears off. And so in regards to that high five and that thing, I think that's just sport. And I think yeah. at some point when you reach across to tap gloves with somebody, that could be a little bit of a break in the stress. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. And, and they're, they're both probably just ferocious competitors, but you know, Kelly's just on that whole nother level of total like commitment and, I mean, yeah, it makes sense that, that Rob would probably just need a break. I mean, yeah, you're right. They were just friends at the end of the day, right? And so they were probably yeah. like, "This is we're out here, we're having a good time, and then, you know, it just happened like that. So I can kind of see that happening. you got to be a pretty selfish, and I don't mean this negatively. You've got to be pretty selfish if you want to compete at the highest level and be the best of that highest level. You've got to be willing to shut out things probably affect relationships, um, you know, being just generally very selfish human. And you don't, you don't win six world titles, let alone 11 without some selfishness. You don't win three in a row without, um, pissing off a lot of, uh, a lot of people. And you have to be willing to do that. And I don't know that everybody is willing to do that. Hey everyone, it's Van. Hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. It'll only take you literally a few seconds and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks. Thinking about you know, growing up in Hawaii, did you ever get into surfing bigger waves? Like you, you talked about how you were surfing like pretty close to pipe and, you know, pretty much on pipe, depending on how the sand would break. Like, did you maybe not pipe or, but your dad's from Kauai, I know there's, there's lots of big waves over there as well. Like, did you dabble in that at all? I definitely dabbled. Um, I got fairly comfortable at medium size pipe. And when I say medium, when the sets would come in, I would just find a way to avoid them. Um, but I got pretty comfy in um, medium-sized pipe. Um, uh, what I never really got comfortable in was like um, the bigger right hand. Hawaii has some big right hand waves. So like sunsets, I, I, I definitely saw my where my limit was at sunset and it had nothing to do with the riding of a wave. It had everything to do with the wild environment. Um, so I started avoiding that place when I got bigger. And then I, there was one day out at, uh, this is probably the peak of me um, or my realization that oh, I don't think I need this anymore. <laughs> uh, it was probably like 16, 17. I can't remember, maybe 15. <laughs> I was out at Haleiwa one day on a big day and I was riding this gigantic 7.6. And I, I remember paddling for this first wave of a set. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, we know this is going to end bad now. Okay, continue. <laughs> Missed that. <laughs> Turned around, and you can just see these things coming in, and I am scratching like all hell. I just managed to get kind of over that next one. Yeah. But what's behind it is a monster. And at that point, I, I mean, I'm panicking. I'm probably blowing out all my <laughs> oxygen. <laughs> And I'm trying to race toward the shoulder. And anybody who's ever surfed bigger Haleiwa, you know, there's like a toilet bowl just just rips through the impact zone. So me trying to get to that aim for that shoulder was uh, was hard. It's like a conveyor belt. And I remember there was a moment where I was like, I could just get over this section. The problem was that somebody was taking off and the line oh. they were going to take was going to cut that corner. Oh. And it was freaking Brock Little. Oh, so you <laughs> who... did not want to get that guy off. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to straighten out and take that one. And I remember coming up crying, freaking just water coming out of all places. My <laughs> arms at that point were noodles. And the next one right behind it, I, I basically given up. I had basically said, just drown me now. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I've already burned out my oxygen just from panicking. Um, and in that uh, panic and giving up, I actually get that then caused me to give in to the toilet bowl and it actually swept me through the impact zone and out to the harbor. <laughs> oh, so th that saved you. Well, you did the it right thing. I It was the worst walk of shame you'll ever see. I'm like this little kid on riding this gigantic seven, six, pulling up to the jetty where the harbor harbor is trying to climb up these rocks while these fishermen are like, what are you doing? <laughs> 
But my, the good thing was, is when I eventually made it into the beach park and I'm heading toward the showers, all the older guys are already back in and oh, hanging out at the showers. And I remember one guy says to, um, uh, to Rock Little, they're like, hey, that was a legitimate 10 foot wave that you got. And I don't remember the wording for it, but I heard legit 10 foot. I, oh, in my head was, I took legit 10 foot on the head. <laughs> And, and just so everybody understands, they're talking 10 foot Hawaiian. Yeah, it was, I mean, <laughs> I, I shouldn't, I, I probably shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. As we all know, <laughs> I shouldn't have paddled for that first wave. And if I was going to paddle for that one, I should have gotten it. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. That, that sounds horrifying. And then I think that same year I had a couple instances of like trying to surf the outer spots on, uh, on the east side um, and finding myself in all kinds of weird positions of what am I doing here? Why, like what, what social norm is pushing me to having to do these things that I don't even really want to do? Oh, wow. <laughs> and, I, didn't, I didn't know the east side got that big. Yeah, the outer side of uh, outer sections uh, oh, will. Outer section. I mean, it looks like a war is going on and there's just bombs going off all around you. Um, but you're doing it by yourself and you're just a kid and there's no one else around and like those kinds of things. And at that point, I was like, you know, maybe I'll pick and choose which which ones yeah, I yeah. want. So, so how did you get comfortable surfing bigger waves? I mean, 20 foot Hollyiva sounds, I mean, 20 foot faces at Hollyiva sounds pretty pretty gnarly you know like what was your process? i don't know that i was ever fully comfortable i think that when you have uh, your peers are doing it too you kind of have to yeah um you feel like you're supposed to and and that's a good thing too at times you're gonna be put into your uh, an uncomfortable position and try to learn how to be comfortable in uncomfortable positions um, probably in all things in life, I would imagine that's how that works. Yeah. But seeing seeing people you know um, uh, doing it, when you see a friend of yours go on something that you've never seen them uh, uh, stretch to before, it the competitive nature definitely comes in. You're like, well, then I got to get it too. Yeah, that's definitely my experience as well. I mean, I mean, you <laughs> that one time I was out with Tyler and Aaron and Nick uh, at Alligator Rock when everywhere else was maxed out. Yeah. And I mean, dude, Aaron had an eight, six. He had, you know, Tyler had at least, he had at least a, I think it was a seven, six or an eight. I think it was, no, no, no. I think it was like a seven O. Oh, Which is like a rhino chaser for Tyler. Cause yeah. he's such a small human. Yeah, yeah. And everybody else was on proper guns, had full on impact vests. And I'm on a six, eight and I'm looking around at everybody. I'm like, what are we really going to go out here? Oh my God. I was so horrified, but. But Nick just like immediately went and jumped in the water. I'm like, I guess we're going out here. And Nick's uh, also a psychopath. I know. Well, Nick is, I mean, he lives, he lives on the North shore now. He, he's definitely a psychopath. I just remember walking down to the beach and Nick had already made it out there and him catching a wave and it was at least quadruple four to five times overhead. And I was like, fuck, what am I getting myself into? You know? And then we paddle out there and I was just mortified, like how big these waves were. I mean, I see. I remember seeing Aaron drop in on a wave. He was on an eight six. That board was like dead vertical, and I mean, he wasn't even halfway down the face of the wave. So that that wave was at least twenty foot faces <laughs> as well. At least twenty foot faces. I mean, that I was I was absolutely horrified, and I, I was like, I'm just gonna catch one wave, and then I'm gonna go in, and I'm I just want to be, I just want to touch some solid ground. I finally caught one wave. And it was so exhilarating that I paddled right back out. I was like, oh, and another one. Oh my God. That was uh, an incredible feeling, but uh, that was super gnarly. You had already been um, on island for like a couple of weeks at that point. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, at least a couple Yeah, weeks so your surf months, shape yeah. was, you were there conditioning wise yeah. by that point. Oh my God. I mean, that's really the battle is conditioning wise for when it gets, when it gets big, especially wintertime, right. you, you, you know, being able to breathe. Right, right, right. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I guess what's so interesting is I definitely, I mean, just to circle back to what you were saying, there's no way I would have paddled out on that day if everybody else wasn't also going out there. There's no way. Yep. Especially if I saw people coming out with full impact vests, helmets, and like nine foot guns. There's no way a sane person would paddle out there with a six, eight, but Right. I guess it's was... probably hopefully a Tyler and Aaron in particular out there. I don't know if Nick's a good barometer because uh, anytime I know Nick or our friend Bo uh, are going to go paddle surf somewhere, I look immediately for somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so seeing Aaron and Tyler out there with you probably was very helpful to be like, yeah, oh, yeah, especially yeah. if you got to see Aaron get a big one. 
Right, 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 right. Yeah, right. Aaron's actually Aaron thrives in in bigger waves. I think I think that's where Aaron's sweet spot is actually is on the yeah. bigger waves. I Aaron hates he small likes. waves. Yeah, I know, dude. He's always pissed off here at Rock. He's pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I've God. never seen anybody get to the beach, look at small waves, be like, "I told you." <laughs> You get so take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Oh man. That sounds, man. I actually remember me and Tyler were roaming around trying to check a, a bunch of different spots. No, nowhere was working. And, um, he was up at VLAN. I was just cruising around and then I, we, I was checking out sunset and I remember looking at it and it looked so enticing. It looks so enticing. I saw a guy get barreled. I mean, it must have been probably two to three times overhead, but it was like perfect. I was talking to Tyler and I was like, oh my God, should we go? Should we try to get in at sunset? And he was like, no, we should not get in at sunset. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, no. He was like, we need like proper guns. And I'm like, dude, but it, I mean, it looks like just double overhead. I feel like we could get in with, with our boards. And he's like, no, you need a really big board at that wave. I mean, is that, yeah. is that just how the wave works? You just need enough paddle power to get into that wave or? Yeah. Cause it's like, um, you know, I don't, I don't, if you've ever seen a swimming pool during an earthquake, um, how it just starts sloshing around, that's what you're in the 99% of your time is that sunset is being out in uh, water that is just moving around like an earthquake is happening. And oh, then yeah. if you're lucky, you'll be in a position to where a wave comes that is um, uh, not going to kill you. But um, <laughs> the other time, all you're doing is paddling in like a river, essentially. Uh, it's just a lot, a lot of uh, sloshy water moving around. Oh, that's so, yeah, I never, we never got a chance to surf sunset and I was just watching it. And I was just like, man, it looks so perfect. There's barely anybody out there. Well, this winter, if if the, the, I still think um, medium-sized sunsets like one of the funnest things you could possibly do, it's actually more beneficial too if you just have a longboard um, for it because it's like I don't know Malibu probably gets pretty fun. Um, I see people riding longboards out there; and they look like they're having fun. Sunsets like the better version of it when it's medium-sized. Right, right, interesting. Yeah. And then it has the inside bowl, which is uh, super playful, fun. If it's not, um, you know like a, an elevator drop, um, that it can be. Ah, uh, yeah. I think I saw the guy get barreled on the inside bowl. Is that the yeah. section of the barrel? Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause he took off super deep and then it just pitched over him. I was like, oh my God, that looks so good. And I was like, it's, Tyler, let's you almost, out. you almost fell for it. <laughs> <laughs> you almost fell for it. I almost got sucked in. I almost had like a, a traumatic experience. Oh my God. Well, oh man. Yeah. I think we just, dude, we just, I think we just ended up surfing gas chambers. Yeah. We Not didn't, bad. It, well, I mean, it was, yeah, that was definitely fun, but, oh, that was actually a super fun session. That was actually a very fun session. Uh, anyway, so we were talking about scary waves. What about, uh, dude, I mean, I, I just can't imagine what the lineups were like back in those days. The locals must've been super heavy as well. Yeah, it was, um, what's the right word to put aggressive i don't mean it in a bad way but like the, the it's everything's dialed up when it when it gets like that i i i remember a day where i you know, we did this when we were younger you go sit out on the shoulder of pipe and pretend like you're gonna get a wave uh mm -hmm. even though you really don't want one because it's kind of <laughs> safe uh, safe out there right right i remember being in a position to where i was like oh um this wave's I'm like really the only one around and I kind of pretended like I was paddling for it and then pulled out the last second and I got yelled at by an uncle, uh, uh right, like pretty, right. pretty hard out there. Um, and you know, I had to go sit in the penalty box of the, uh, channel for a little while. I was like, thank you. <laughs> You're like, I, I kind of did that on purpose, low key. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I have an excuse to sit in the channel. Oh man. But it gets you... like that even in town, town, I mean, cause town gets pretty, um, summertime. It, it, town has a lot of waves. Um, and like I grew up, um, surfing a lot, um, during the summers and, um, and that's a, you know, pretty, the uncles own the outside, um, all the kids own the inside. And, you know, if you're in between, you can either go surf the right <laughs> or, um, try to pick and choose what, uh, you know, when the uncles fall off on the outside and, uh, and, and chip in there, but it's the same thing. You, it's like pretty aggressive in that, uh, you know, these are where these people are from. This is their home spot. This is their thing. And, um, you know, if you're 
just coming in and as a guest, um, I'm not a guest at Kevalos, but like, I, I guess it's really anywhere in the world that you go surf. Um, uh, if the waves get good and people have been waiting for that good day for a long time, cause that's where they're from. Well, and so, I mean, did you ever witness anything go down? I mean, or yeah, I mean, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That stuff happens. I've also like, I'm not saying everybody, wherever you're from, go and start beating up people on the beach. You know, uh, don't do that. Um, but like there are, I can speak for Hawaii and that we are very used to people showing up from all over the world and, um, you know, jumping in without any regard to the people that are from there. Um, and so th that kind of animosity is, is inherent and it shows up every year. It happens with the surf industry as it continues to explode, um, even though it should have died already. But the you know the team houses going from being three months long out of the year to now they're year round and they're bringing in all their you know different tier systems of uh, sponsored surfers in, and they it, it takes over in an, um, you know a, an environment that other people are from, and so that kind of um, friction is, is going to happen. Yeah, I can. I'm. Mean, I'm not surprised that that kind of animosity pops up a little bit at Rockaway, but I'm am surprised by how it hasn't um, become a major issue yet. Because there are people in, in Rockaway who are from Rockaway, and they have watched in the span of ten years their home get completely taken over by um, you know people that may have just had a surf lesson or two, and now um, are going to you know. Um, participate in this lifestyle uh, for a few months out of the year. Um, and that takes up space and, and where, where somebody's from. And um, uh, so I guess I'm partly surprised it hasn't boiled over at any point, but um, I do totally understand it when it does come. Yeah, no, it, it is a real issue. And, you know, what would be your advice if someone was going to go and surf in Hawaii for the first time? How would you approach a lineup, you know, especially a heavily localized one like that? I, I would... Um, in the same way, I would say any place you visit, uh, do a little research into um, you know where you're going. Um, and, and when it comes to surfing in Hawaii, um, there's plenty of waves. There's there's waves everywhere. Um, but if you think you're just going to pull up to whatever spot, wherever you think you should be allowed to, surfing's for everyone. That kind of kind of talk, you're probably it's going to be a rude awakening. I would say do a little research into the places you're going. Maybe try to talk to people who are who are from there. Um, there are place, there are waves for people who are from out of town. There are places like that. Um, and then there are a play, um, parts of uh, the, uh, on Oahu, especially um, that maybe that isn't for you. Maybe that's for the, the people who live there um, and try to take those things into account. But like this idea of showing up to uh, uh, walking up to a spot and being like, this is for me, this is mine. That kind of attitude is, is what's going to get you in trouble. Maybe look around, say hi to somebody, maybe watch. Um, there's nothing wrong with watching. Um, you know, go take a, take in the environment that you're around. If you want to go get in the water for one, maybe two, go get in the water for one, maybe two. Um, but the, the, whatever you do at your own home break with you and your friends probably isn't the same kind of, um, behavior that you should be bringing to someone else's place. And I try to try my best to do the same thing with my, my friends. I mean, we, we all surf in packs at times <laughs> and uh, I ain't trying to go to New Jersey with five of you <laughs> and uh, on the one day it's really good and just pull up to someone else's spot with five of us and <laughs> and act like we have every right to be there um, you know taking taking things from people um, I, so I'd rather separate and do it in groups of two <laughs> right <clears throat> right no I think that is good advice I mean just you just got to be respectful right and just uh, it is it is someone else's home and you know, they, they have uh, first dibs and priority. And then, um, yeah, you just got to be respectful. I think that's the biggest thing. Speaking of Rhode Island's a gem. Yeah. It, it is. is a gem. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it reminds me of the east side of Oahu. It's the same thing if you just subtract the mega mansions. and um, But it's the same similar coastline, same feel. You got to kind of right. wa walk around, try to figure out how you're getting out there. Go find this little shallow rock outside and go sit on it. Me and Aaron surfed one up there once where I don't even know if it was an actual wave that people surf, but we saw it. We're like, let's go surf that thing. All right. So maybe we'll fast forward a little bit. So you, you know, you obviously left Hawaii. Did you come straight to New York or what was? The... Uh, I did college in Southern California and then I was in LA because I work in the theater. Um, so when I got out of school, 
um, I went to LA for a couple years and then um, straight to New York after that to, for, for theater. And so I've been here, I guess, 2009, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think is when I got out here. Okay. And so what was it like transitioning from, I mean, I guess you grew up part of your life you, you was in Southern California. So that wasn't any big shock. What was it like when you first came to New York? Did you even think about surf? <laughs> Were you even like, there are waves here? I, I, in my mind, I, it was, all right, it's over. I guess I'm not going to be surfing. <laughs> um, you resigned yourself to that. Yeah. But like a month, my first month, I got here August, 2009. I want to say a month after I arrived, hurricane bill happened. And I remember looking at Surfline, and it was like, it said Rockways double overhead. <laughs> you're so, like, what? Are there, there were waves here? I took off. I hopped on the A train, um, pulled up to around what I guess it would, I didn't even know how to get to Rockaway at that point. It was uh, what I now know is 108th Street. I get up to the old boardwalk, stand up there, look at it, and it's like two foot blown out, looked like Huntington uh, at 3 p.m. <laughs> yeah. in the summer. And I was like, they lied. They don't really have <laughs> waves here. <laughs> That was my first experience surfing was Hurricane uh, Bill. No. I had no idea that I just mistimed it as we can do with Hurricane Swell here because um, the windows are pretty small. Um, and so I didn't really uh, surf. I would, I would go every now and then, but like it wasn't really until um, 20, right around Sandy is when I really started surfing Rockaway. And, um, you know, the before and after of Sandy, uh, but it was also a different time. There just was nobody around. It was like, I would see you. <laughs> I would right. see your brother. Uh, I would right. see the same five people. Um, and, and then that's when, uh, you know, me and all the other people from Hawaii kind of found each other that summer. And we, next thing you know, I went from wanting to leave New York to now I'm like, wait a minute, we could surf all the time here. <laughs> I'm staying in New York now. But that's yeah. what that, that summer was kind of magical. It was just like, we go surf Rockaway nearly every day even in the summer if there wasn't waves we were still going beach and then um, when that fall came and i saw how good it actually gets was like oh i don't ever need to leave new york i'm, I'm staying here right 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 because you can you can do your theater and you can still surf you can still go back home obviously to hawaii yeah that was also that was a, what a great time there was just nobody around uh, when the waves got good you'd know that little pack of guys over there is from that surf shop that other pack is from that and me and all my friends are here and that was the most you would get in terms of crowd and then the beach would always be completely empty um and you know then things changed and uh now it's you and 1000 of your best friends hanging out in the water <laughs> yeah it's definitely a a different vibe in uh you know but he you know that's i think that's just what what ha what's happening to surfing everywhere and you know it has its pros and cons you know it's it's definitely more of a community it feels like but it's a, it's a much much larger community it's crazy how busy and you know yeah. it, it's gotten obviously so then um what did you learn from surfing at rockaway how did it change the way you surf at all you know the it's two things. One, it kind of just reinvigorated my fading um, enthusiasm for for it um, at a time when I needed it. It was I had already done a lot of New York, and I was only surfing when I would go back to Hawaii or California or random trips. So it definitely um, it brought that back, which is a big part of my life. So um, you know, when you don't have that, it affects you. The other part was um, remember, you know, it's a different wave, it's a different ocean. Um, I learned a lot about, uh, cause I'm aging at the same time. So it's like, I want to surf a certain way and that certain way I may not physically be able to do anymore. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, every month that goes by, it's a new injury that you seem to be um, dealing with. And I'm like, maybe that's just the way it's always going to be. Like you, I'm never going to be at a hundred percent. So board, um, you know, now it's, we're no longer in the 6-2 potato chip world, thankfully, um, uh, as much as I like the 6-2 potato chip. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's okay. You know, we can ride other things and it's just mentally getting myself to be able to say, all right, today we're just riding this fat, chunky, not going to be able to do a turn board. 
um, because that's what, um, you know, either the wave at Rockaway, uh, provides, or that's what my body is allowing me to have. And that transition has been a little tough for me, as you probably have seen and know I'm writing, still writing boards that are too small. I'm still writing boards that I would allow me to surf the way I want to surf when maybe I can't surf that way anymore. Mm. Um, but that transition, everybody's going to have to go through and I'm still going through it. I'm doing it at my own speed. Yeah. Yeah. Slowly, but but surely. Yeah. You're you're adding a little bit more volume, but I I think, you know, you can still, you can still, you know, if you add the right amount of volume and put it in the right places, you'll still be able to perform and, you know. Yeah. And it's not so serious too at Rockaway. At least I hope, you know, people keep it that way. It's, you know, you go out if you're lucky here, I'll I'll put it, give it to you this way. (laughs) I was back in Hawaii for a few months and uh, Dylan out here in New York was back home too. And he was like, Hey, let's go surf. And I remember being like, nah, it's not very good. And he kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. And so finally uh, I was like, all right, I'll meet you down diamond head. And we went and surf diamond head. It was, it would be the equivalent of the greatest day ever at Rockaway. Hmm. But instead I was out there like, oh, I didn't even want to surf this because you, it, you just get used to it you take it for granted. And I realized I was more stoked to surf. Um, even lesser waves at Rockaway than I was when I was back home um, on Oahu for a while. And it took me having to see Dylan, who had been in New York for the last few years, get to Hawaii and be like, "This, these waves are great. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they are great. And I'm totally over it. Um, so well, like, what made you, how, how did you get to the point where you weren't psyched on those waves? Was it just you'd seen it so long, you just gotten... That kind of day is like, um, you, know, probably, you know, when I say great, it was like, very, the, the conditions were great. It's like shoulder to head high, um, plenty of waves, very, very clean. And, you know, to have those conditions at Rockaway would be an all time right. day. Right. Right. And, uh, and I've been stoked to surf even lesser at Rockaway. There was something about the excitement of doing it. So I forgot where I was going with this, but the, um, but Rockaway, it, it, the fact that you can live in New York city and go surfing and, yeah. and go sick. back to work or whatever it is you have to do. That's, that's, yeah, it's pretty all time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. Wait, so I, you know, on the topic of uh, board choice, I remember, didn't you like sell a board to somebody and what, what happened with that? You sold like a board. I think the guy was like, I remember you, 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 he, um, I just remember you telling me he was about to make a very bad decision, but you, oh. you tried to help him, but it didn't really what, what was the deal? With it, happen, it happens all the time too. Cause I, I will, you know, you, we all do it. Use a board for about six months as much as you can, then get rid of it. And I remember a guy, uh, wanting this board and this thing is five, three, maybe five, two. <laughs> How are you on this board, man? Holy crap. Damn. And it, I, he was like, he really wanted it. I was like, I don't think that this is going to you know, be the board for you. And I showed him other boards and he was like, no, I want this one. I was like, well, I guess in some way you're going to think you're getting into surfing and this may get you out of it. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, if you ever need to get rid of that board again and you find it just sitting in your closet, let me know and I'll, and I'll take it back. But it, I, I finally stopped doing that. I remember a girl called because I had a couple pink boards and she had hit me up. She was like, hey, can you just be honest with me? Um, I really like this board the way it looks, but does it make sense for me to have it? And in that moment, I just went, no, it makes zero sense. <laughs> for you to have this. And in fact, I cannot even give it to you. That would be like the old days of like early 2010s when, you know, places like, and I'm not going to say the names, but surf shops out here would sell people these surfboards, like uh, shortboards, knowing damn well, they're never going to be able to stand up on them and selling them for like 800, 900 bucks. And I'm like, what do you, why would you do that? That makes, (laughs) they're never going to be able to ride this. Yeah. And the way the marketing works is just like, what are the pros doing? And then like the beginner surfer will look at that and be like, I should be riding a super rockered out, like, you know, five, 10, 19 inches, 18, five eights, like two and a quarter board. And you're just like, what? There's no way, man. There's just zero way. I, I still move boards around and half the time when somebody, I had one guy come and grab a board and he was a, he's a lifelong East coaster. He was uh definitely had a young, like amateur career into a local, uh, a pro career, still rips overweight. Um, you know, like we <laughs> at this age and he came and saw this board. I want to get rid of. He's like, I think I can still ride this. And I was like, I'm glad to know there's somebody else going through the same dilemma I'm going through where we think we can still ride these things. <laughs> oh my God. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like 
that's the one of the biggest mistakes that a surfer can make is just riding too low volume of board. I feel I see so many people on smaller boards, and I know they just want to be able to rip, but they, number one, the wave is just isn't there so that they can actually perform on that wave, and then their ability, their performance, their paddle power isn't there, you know, to catch yeah. a wave on those tiny boards. So, what is the biggest? I mean, so living in New York now, what what are some of the big? What are the biggest challenges for you for your surfing? Uh, ego is essentially it. I need more foam. I need to be a little bit more realistic about where my surfing is going these days. Also, maybe remember that it's cool to go out and paddle around. Don't need to catch thirty waves in a session. I can probably get two good ones and feel just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 keep it light like that. <clears throat> Take the seriousness out of it. I would recommend that to anybody who's just starting off. Maybe had a couple fun lessons with locals or something. Is just probably try to remove the seriousness of it and remember it's kind of fun. And also try to remember it's counterculture, man. We we were the bums of of, of the world. We were not socially um, accepted people. Um, as much as that seems appealing now on social media for for the the surf lifestyle, but like maybe pull all that seriousness out of it. We're all just a bunch of people hanging out at a beach, uh, acting like children because we get excited by water and water that moves. That's probably the, the, the thing I need to go back to remembering what surfing is. Mm, Cause you got just too much. I mean, especially growing up competing and all that. Once you get into that competitive mindset where you're obsessed with progression and succeeding, it can be hard to, it can be, it can diminish the fun and it can almost make you like stop doing the thing because you keep on measuring yourself against kind of where you were before. And that can be really disheartening. And, uh, you know, I've, I've experienced this with my other sports, like climbing, for example. Um, and a big part of it is just coming back to just having fun, just like you said, and that, that actually is going to get you in the water more and then you'll actually get better in that way. Right. So it's, it's kind of a weird thing how that works. Yeah. Like kind of, uh, don't care as much and <laughs> you right. about getting better. And then, you know, you find a way too. There, I, I always feel like I'm one good board away. <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all, aren't we all just one good board away. <laughs> oh, uh, you know who it makes me think. So I was listening to Joe Rogan and he was giving advice on how to become, uh, how to get into BJJ. Um, and he was talking to another athlete and the athlete was talking about how he couldn't get into BJJ because he knows how competitive he would get and that it wouldn't be fun for him um, because he would suck because he'd be starting out as a white belt in BJJ, right? Uh, and that would just be too frustrating to him. So what Joe Rogan says is the most important thing to get good at BJJ is to play. Like approach it from the perspective of play as opposed to approaching it for the from the perspective of performance. And obviously you need kind of both performance, uh, performance kind of focused drive, but then having kind of like a, a softer context of play when you're actually practicing, I think is key. Otherwise you're just going to get too self-obsessed and it's really going to weigh down on your ego and all these kinds of things. Yeah, so It is interesting. So you, yeah. we are, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say there's a, you know, a Rockaway local, um, Josh Skyer, who's a um, Henzo Gracie black belt, and he's a, a teacher, runs a school in um, uh, the Cobble Hill area, Columbia Waterfront. He's a surfer, um, lives out at Rockaway. It also helps when you have people like him who uh, are very playful, because in, in, I've trained with him before, and he's he's all, all like a very playful person when it comes to um training and um so i guess who you surround yourself with at that point too if you're only surrounding yourself with like aggro um uh be it bjj or be it surfing whatever it is if it's only like the gnarliest people that you're surrounding yourself with yeah it probably would be frustrating <laughs> when you're that competitive to be in that environment whereas you you meet somebody like professor skyer uh, who treats his art form as a play at, at, at as play, mm-hmm. um, that, then it becomes way more enjoyable. I've, I've only seen him in the water a few times because, you know, there's the, those that surf in the 90s and those that surf in the 60s. But I, I imagine that his that playful approach in BJJ is actually how his surfing is too. I can very much imagine it that way. Mm, interesting. Well, it looks like we got to probably work towards closing up. So maybe we'll end with... <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> Uh, maybe one with, uh, what are your top three surf tips to, uh, intermediate surfers? Oh boy. Three things that you've kind of picked up over your years of surfing. Um, you know, whatever it might be. Okay. For the intermediate level surfer, I would say this, (laughs) 
Uh, being intermediate is a good thing. One, this is not a bad thing. Uh, I like being intermediate at this point. Um, but that turn you're trying to make, maybe start it a little sooner. Mm. Don't wait to get to the very, very top of the face to, uh, to be able to start that wrap. Start it a lot sooner, actually, than you think. Um, second is you, you got to open up that shoulder. You got to mm -hmm. completely whip that thing around. Um, so that's combined into one tip, I would say, for, for that. Um, uh, making barrels, I don't know, look up. <laughs> don't look down. <laughs> Where look up exactly the, are you looking at? The, the barrel uh, of the wave right in the corner? At the lip. At the lip. But more importantly, point your board toward the beach more than you think. Um, and the other one is I'm learning it myself too, is stretch. <laughs> I never stretch. Yeah. I, I never, 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 never stretch. Um, but yeah, stretching obviously important. But yeah, pointing your board toward the beach a little bit more. Um, shoulders open up, like all little things you probably already know. But say to help you do it a little bit um, better um, is just yeah, uh, look up, maybe point the board toward the beach. Uh, start your turn way sooner than you think. It doesn't have to be that far out and that far up. And and so just on the stretching, why is stretching? Why has stretching been so important to you? Uh, for me, hips, um, like particularly in, you know, there's your pop-up, but then there's also your, your, your turning ability. You can't really get those shoulders all the way over if your hips aren't able, able to get all over otherwise, or maybe you can, and you just look silly doing it. Um, but at this point in my life, it's paddling is the dominant factor in, in surfing for me. And I'm finding that the, you know, laying down on my stomach and finding ways to breathe um, in uncomfortable positions is becoming more and more the importance of anything else. The amount of riding time, standing up on your feet that you do in a surf session compared to laying down is astronomically different. Um, but yeah, shoulders, um, uh, everything to do with, you know, back and lats, all that stuff, like probably, I mean, I have a little stretching room here. I have like a foam floor that you can't see yeah. and little rubber bands everywhere just so that I can stay in the water longer is, is the goal. Right. Well, it, it's been interesting. I mean, I, I've seen you struggle with, you know, some of your issues with your body and you know, it seems like constantly stretching is like the only thing that keeps that at bay so that you can actually surf longer sessions. It's a, uh, it's, yeah. it's a, it's just a never ending battle as your body gets older, but, uh, it's an important one. Otherwise, you know, you won't be able to do the thing you love. So. Yeah, exactly. That I couldn't surf yesterday because of a groin pull. <laughs> oh, really? Is that yeah. why you didn't come out? <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I had such a fun time and I uh, hope you had some fun as well. And um, yeah, maybe we'll have you on at another time and get deeper into some of these topics. It was, uh, yeah, some of the stories you were telling me were definitely hilarious and very insightful. So uh, thanks again, Kiola. Hell yeah. All right, buddy. Thank All you right. for having me. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Hey everyone, it's Van. Hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. It'll only take you literally a few seconds and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks.